uh, the last chapter, Paul addressed four people. He addressed, uh, let me let me go back to the beginning of my notes so I'm not uh, repeating myself over and over. In the fifth chapter, Paul talked to four groups of people. He talked first to older people, second to older widows, third to younger widows, and then fourthly to the church officers, particularly to the elder. And here in this chapter, Paul is talking to four other groups of people, and he starts out with Christian slaves, amen, how they are to honor their master, and their master is worthy of full honor. And how do I apply that today? Well, it's with my boss, and because if you don't realize when you get a job, you're making a commitment to say, I'm going to be here for this many hours a week, and you're going to pay me this amount of money. So as a Christian, I have an obligation to work all the much harder even if my boss is a Christian, especially if my boss is a Christian, because they are heirs and joint heirs to the kingdom of God with me. Amen. Amen. And then he addresses false teachers in First uh, Timothy 6, 3 through 10. And we went through that last week, what it looked like. And we kind of delved and got lost in that a little bit because I only made it through like four, four verses, really. But we're going to start today where he addresses the pastor, Timothy himself, and then he addresses the rich in the church. Amen? So we're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to start at verse 10, or verse 11, okay? So let's read the whole thing. You can follow along. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, Let all who are under the yoke of a bondsman regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who, are, who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve them all the better since that those who benefit from their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up and conceited, understanding nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversies and quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and con uh, constant friction among people who are depraved in both their mind and of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means to gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothes, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into the snare, and into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is though... It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession. 
to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will be, which, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only, the only sovereign king, king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him the honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hope on uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted unto you. Avoid it the irreverent babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing some have swerved from the faith. Grace be unto you. Let us pray. Father God, we just ask you right now to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that could receive the message that you have delivered in this, your word this morning. We ask that you would Guard our hearts and our minds as we lay hold of your word and help us to apply it to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now I want to talk about verse 10 through 16 and probably 20 through 21 where Paul is addressing Timothy, the pastor of the church of Ephesus. He's giving instructions, first of all, to the slave Christian, and then he gives instruction to tell who false prophets are and what they're saying and what they teach, right? And he does this in every letter. If you notice, Paul does this in every letter because the, the greatest error that can ever come into the church is to get away from Jesus. The greatest error that can ever come into the church is to get off of Jesus and get on to other things. Uh, this is important and that's important. And oh, we got to, you know, uh, I don't care about this building. This building could blow down tomorrow. Guess what? We're going to keep having church. Okay. Uh, 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 the, the things of my life, I could get my house taken away tomorrow. I'm not going to stop being a pastor. I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. I could, I could lose it all. Amen. Because if I have Christ, I have enough. And if you got the gospel, you understand what the gospel is. The gospel isn't about things. It's about your eternal life. It's about you living for Christ now. Amen? Because you're going to be with him again. The greatest error in the church is to think that it's all about me. You know, we talked about the false prophets last time, how they, they love controversy and arguments over word, and they have wrong idea about the truth. They have wrong ideas about faith. Amen? We see that today over and over. People are running after stuff in the church and not Christ. People's priorities in the church 
are completely skewed. Because while, while we love Jesus and we profess we love Christ, what really happens is life always gets in the way. And we'll make an excuse for church. We'll make an excuse to do good. We'll make an excuse to serve. But when it comes to work, we'll go to work. Or we'll take care of our kids. Why? Because we see value in it, right? And why Christians aren't doing things in the church like they used to do things in the church, I believe is because they don't see any value in it. And I think we need to bring value back to spiritual things. Amen. We need to bring value back to prayer. We need to bring value back to reading and studying God's word. We need to bring value back to the fellowship of the saints. Amen. What is fellowship? It's hanging out. Christians being able to hang out with other Christians and not worry about somebody being mad at them because of their faith. Amen. We need that kind of thing. And I want you to notice how Paul starts his discourse to Timothy. He said, but as for you, so I want everybody to raise your hand real quick. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this all to you, okay? So just take this like I'm talking to Ruth, I'm talking to Mike, I'm talking to Roberta, Tina, everybody, okay? But as for you, O man or woman of God, flee these things. Flee what things? Well, go back and read what he said in verse 3. Through 10. When he's warning against false, you can put your hand down. I'm sorry. <laughs> she was being faithful, man. She, she was like, man, I, I really, he didn't say put it down, so I'm going to keep it up here. <laughs> Everything in verse 3 through 10, he said, flee those things. What things? Things that turn away, away from anything except God. Watch this. He says in verse 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, that does not agree with sound doctrine or the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine that accords with godliness. Stop right there. If anyone's teaching anything that doesn't line up with the gospel, amen? Remember Galatians 1 and 6, he says, if I or an angel or anybody else comes and preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. Why? Because there's only one gospel. Okay? There's only one message. And the message is Christ. The message ain't you. The message is Christ. Because without Christ, I'm nothing. Without Christ, I have nothing. Without Christ, I can do nothing. Amen? Jesus is what it's all about. And when we change it, when we, when we kind of make it about a little bit about Jesus and a little bit about me, we can't do that. We have a whole generation of church people who are failing, who are falling short. They're, they're, they, they have this idea. I don't know where they got it from, but Jesus said you're either for me or you're against me. He didn't say you can kind of be on my side, but when you feel like it, you can take off. Okay, I have a twin brother, if you couldn't tell. I mean, I might have to shave so you can tell. Got a twin brother, and I guarantee you, there's never been a point in his life where he thought I wasn't on his side. Okay, ever. When you understand that that's the expectation Jesus has of you, 
that you're on his side no matter what? That's what he's talking about, okay? He wants you on his side. He doesn't want you. We used to call it riding the fence, okay? You got one foot in the world, one foot in Christ. That's, that's a lie, okay? That's not even possible to do. If you've got your other foot in the world, you're lost. I'm just telling you, that's the gospel truth. It ain't, it ain't I'm kind of just flirting. No, I don't think you've come to the understanding of what salvation is. Because when you get saved, the born-again experience produces change. When, you, when you're regenerated, made new. Amen? Old thing, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, the old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become brand new. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. What I'm telling you is, your idea about what's right and wrong drastically changes. Your, your heart and what it wants to do drastically changes. Amen? The things that you thought were important drastically change. Amen? So what we're talking about here is fleeing these things that draw us away from Christ. Amen? And notice, how he, notice how he doesn't just leave it there. I love this about Paul because Paul will say, run away from those things. But he doesn't tell you just run aimlessly away from these things. Okay? Notice that he, does, he gives you he gives you an instruction to flee, but then he also gives you an instruction of where to go. <laughs> Amen? He gives you direction, right? He says, flee these things, everything in verse 3 through 10. He said, uh, I want to stop before I get going on the direction, because there was another thing in there that he was talking about in verse 3 through 10, and that was loving things or loving money or thinking that, Coming to Christ is going to make you rich, which is a lie. And if there's any TV preacher preaching it, they're liars. Okay? And I, I will tell them to their face that they're liars. Okay? Paul said, "With as long as we got food and clothes, we're content with that. Amen? Because the, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not evil. The love of money is very evil and will make people do all kinds of things. And Jesus said you can't serve God and money. Amen. So despite what all these, a lot, a lot, well, I, I, stopped, I stopped even calling them preachers now, okay? I'm just, a lot of false teachers do that. That's what Paul called them. Paul called them false teachers. Right here in verse 3 through 10, he called those people doing those things false teachers. So let's just stop calling them preachers because, look, your pastor makes $400 a month. But when people talk to me, they talk to me like I'm Kenneth Copeland, like I'm the one making the millions of dollars, okay? And I don't get it, okay? I'm out here really loving people, really serving God, really trying my best. And I get looked at like I'm the guy on TV, Amen. okay? The reality is... They're doing that, and it's all about them. Amen? Flee that stuff. Flee it. Run away. Don't even listen to it. I don't even listen to them no more. You know what I do when I hear somebody like that on TV? Change the channel. I'm on Facebook. I scroll by. I've gotten in the habit I just block them when I see them. I'm like, I don't want to see this ad no more, okay? 
because it's dumb. I don't need to listen to that. It's not truth. It's a lie, and I'm not listening to it. So if you want a more happy, more content life, turn off all the junk that's not true. Just turn it off. You don't have to listen to it. You don't even have to acknowledge it. Just turn it off. Listen, man, I'm going to tell you something right now. You tell me. I'm About ready. six months ago, I decided to get rid of all social media out of my life, period. Amen. Best decision I've ever made. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Just make a choice. Conscious effort. Now, if we couldn't run away from these things, Paul wouldn't tell us to. He said, flee them. Run away. Amen? What am I supposed to do when sin comes around? Run. I don't care if you have to get real and act crazy about it, okay? I have before. Just get out. Told Mike about a dream I had when I first met Mike and that was 18 years ago. Had this dream, and I, in this dream, there was a, a lady in this dream that said, touch not the unclean thing. And I woke up, and I told Mike, I don't know what the unclean thing is, but I feel like running away. <laughs> touch not the unclean thing. Run away. Amen? Uh, Moses, in the book of the law, that was one of those things that he said, don't touch the unclean thing. Amen? You weren't even supposed to look at it. You, there was law. Like if I just w went into a room with unclean stuff, I may have to wash and be separated and, and all day, you know, until I was ceremonially clean, right? It's the same difference in the New Testament in Christ, okay? You got to understand that the things of the world are not there to help you. They will inhibit you. They will hurt you. They will defile you. Amen? Come on. Let's get it right. And then he tells us where to go. He says, flee these things. So where am I supposed to go? Notice, what does the King James say right there, Mike? Read verse 11 from the King James for me, okay? That you, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness. Follow after. That's what the King James says. Follow after, okay? You know what my ESV Bible says? Pursue. Follow after, pursue, that's the same thing. It's, it means the same word, okay? It's the same thing. I like the word pursue because it means intention. I can follow and just kind of be like, but if I'm pursuing something, I'm like Roscoe Cole P. Roscoe Cole P. Train, or whatever his name is. Roscoe P. Coltrane. Yeah, I'm like him. I'm in hot pursuit. That's what I need to be. I need to be in hot pursuit of the things of God. Amen. I don't need to be just kind of meandering along going, well, I might get here someday. I need to be making up my mind that I'm not doing that thing no more. And I'm running after Christ. I'm running after these other. I'm in hot pursuit. Like, I'm trying to catch you. Okay. We, we preached a sermon series. Uh. Uh, what was the, what was the name of that one we talked about pursuing Christ or pursuing God? Uh, I can't remember it. But we used we defined the word pursuit, okay? Right, right. Well, they're telling the devil to run. It's not the same thing. Yeah, but it's God's one pursuing the devil, okay? 
You ain't, you ain't, they ain't not, not one of us equipped in and of ourselves to chase no devil, okay? God chases the devil. God makes him flee, okay? It ain't not, there ain't nothing in you except Christ in you that's going to make that happen, okay? That's the reality. But he tells him, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, steadfastness, and gentleness. And then he tells him something that's really profound. Fight the good fight. Hold on a minute. He said gentleness. How am I going to fight gentle? The fight isn't with people. The fight's in you. The fight's with your flesh, with your own desires, because everybody has them. Yeah. Amen? The fight is don't be angry, be gentle. Right. The fight is this. The fight is this. Nobody, nobody wants to live righteous with, apart from Christ. And your flesh, even when you're in Christ, still desires unrighteousness. So the fight is this. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what's right. Amen. Let me put it. That's the layman's English for you. The righteousness is this. What I know to be right and the thing I know to do that's right, that's the thing I should be doing. That's the thing I should be pursuing. Amen. Amen. The things that I know are wrong, the things that I know I shouldn't do, those are the things I'm supposed to run away from. Amen. Amen. Come on. Let's get this thing right. Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness. This is the biggest one, and I'm going to keep hammering that drum if I had to bring that tom-tom down here, and I'm going to hit it every time I say it. But the greatest need in the body of Christ is a spirit of perseverance steadfastness and faithfulness we don't have it okay we don't get it we say we love God but we do everything to avoid anything that has to do with God 90% of the time endurance well the endurance the word endurance is the same word as perseverance. It's the same word as steadfastness. That's the modern translation of a word. I like, I like steadfastness and perseverance better because endurance could just mean I need to work up my own uh, uh, wind. Because when you're running an endurance race, it's whether you can keep going, okay? Right. Well, the, the reality is it's already done. Right. Our so job... That, well, that's when you're... Let me, let me rephrase this, okay? When you're thinking endurance, you're thinking of you, but we're not endure. We don't endure to the end on our own merit, right. period, okay? Right. What I mean is I like perseverance better because it shows the hand of God in the keeping of me in my walk. You see what I mean? Now, we all do need that. We all do need to build up some endurance in our walk with Christ. But here's the thing. You're not going to do it without hardship. Hardship is where you build those things up. Hardship is where God brings those things out of you. Why? Why? Because if it's always easy, 
let's just think about it like you're lifting weights, okay? If you're lifting weights and all you curl is 45 pounds, then that's all you're ever going to be able to curl. The only way I lift more is I challenge myself to lift more. There was a point in time where I could curl 130 pounds. Stand just dead there, stand there and curl it 20 times. Okay? But I had to work up to that. And I started out at 40, 50, 60, 70. You see what I mean? The more, the, the more weight I put on, the harder the struggle was. And you understand your walk in Christ isn't something that's going to get easier. Amen. It's something that I'm going to be challenged more and more. Okay, I won this little battle. Now I got to seek a harder one. Challenge myself even more. The Lord worked this out of me. Now he's going to work this other thing out of me. And he's going to keep doing that. And we're sometimes like the children of Israel where we're walking around a mountain over and over and over because we can't get it. We're not understanding God's trying to use this circumstance to get me to learn something. And I'm not getting it. And he'll keep walking you around there. Okay? How, I don't know how many people have come through the door of this building just in the year that we've been here and said, I don't know why this keeps happening to me. Maybe you didn't learn anything the first time. Maybe you didn't get it figured out the first time it happened, okay? I would caution you to be very spiritual this time around and see what you can learn from it, amen? That way, next time it's not a shock, <laughs> amen? Because the reality is this, we did not get promised, oh, it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows and fat little naked angel babies on the clouds playing harps. That's what the walk of Christ looks like. No! It's not going to be like that. You ever see a cherubim look like a fat naked angel baby in the Bible? It never, ever... You know what a cherubim looks like in the Bible? Do you want me to describe a cherubim for you? They're probably like 13, 14 foot tall. They got six wings. They cover their face with two of them. They cover their feet with the other two. And they fly around with the other two. And they got four faces. One like the face of a man, one like the face of an ox, one like the face of a bear, one like the face of a eagle, right? That's a cherubim. You know what Michelangelo called those little things on the clouds? He called them cherubim, but that ain't them. That ain't cherubim, okay? That ain't, that ain't it. And that ain't the Christian walk. It's a fight. Where's the fight? In me. The fight is in my flesh. Paul said, there's a warring in my members. What members? The, uh, the part of me that says, I really like that sin. The part of me that says, I really like doing that thing. And then the spirit that God regenerated and born, was born again in me says, you shouldn't be doing that. And there's where the war happens. Amen. Flee these things. Fight the good fight of faith. Make a good confession in the presence. Of, look, he said, take hold of eternal life. Now, I want to stop right here. He says, take hold of eternal life. What, this, what people sometimes make this mean is, now I can do something to obtain eternal life. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's going to get it twisted. Salvation is from the Lord. It's a gift of God. It cannot be earned. 
There's nobody that deserves it. I remember listening one time. Somebody said, why would God send so many people to hell that don't deserve it? Well, here's the thing. Everybody hold your hand up. Every single person in this room deserves hell. You can put your hand down. Everybody does. The Bible says in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. He said no one that does good. No one that seeks after God. No one does. So nobody ever, 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 ever goes to hell that doesn't deserve it. And, you know, I like the funny saying that, that God doesn't send people to hell but their own choice does, that's not true, okay? Even though they make that choice, God is the one throwing them in hell. It is his judgment. If it wasn't, then there would be no point to hell, okay? It would be like going in your room and your mom saying, I'm going to spank you, I'm going to spank you, I'm going to spank you. Now spank yourself. That's the dumbest thing that I've ever heard, okay? You don't spank yourself. You get a spanking. You get punishment. It is poured out on you, Okay? God does send people to hell, okay? Just and, and whether whatever argument you want to make, their choice may determine in some case or somehow how this happens, but God is still the one sending them there, okay? If God would not have made the rules, this and this and don't do this, and you gotta believe in Christ, if he wouldn't have done that, then nobody would have went to hell. So the reality is God does send people to hell. God is loving, but God is also just. God is also righteous, so God has to punish sin, okay? Just like you have to punish your kids when they do things wrong, amen? So let's stop getting a wrong idea about this. Get grounded in some truth, okay? Now, God also wants you to understand that there's not going to be one person that goes to heaven that deserves it. Amen. Look, everybody hold your hand back up. Not one of you deserves to go to heaven. Not one of you. Nobody's ever going to be in heaven that goes up there and says, I got here on my own. Here's my badge. I did it. I made it. Matter of fact, there's going to be a lot of people in Jesus. Jesus said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Did I not do that? Did I not do this other thing? And he'll look at them. And he said, I'm going to look at them plainly and say, look, I never knew you. Amen? Amen? That's the gospel. God saves, not you. Amen. God saves, not you. Amen. Amen? Lay hold of eternal life to which you were called, about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What he's saying here is he's saying, look, you've already, we've already seen the fruit of the born-again experience in your life. Now lay hold of it and run after these things. The things that he just said in the previous sentence. Context matters, right? Run after those things. Make, he said, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and to Christ Jesus who is the testimony, who gave a testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at a proper time 
who is the blessed and only sovereign. I like that part. I like that part. Jesus is the only way. Amen. He's the only one in charge. He's the only way that I'm ever going to get to heaven. It won't be by how good I am. It won't be how, by how great I sing. And I love to hear some people in this room sing. Nobody likes hearing me sing, but I like hearing you guys sing. The reality is Christ came to save sinners. And that's us. Amen. Make a good confession. What's he mean? He said, now that the gift's been put in you. Notice what he says in the very last verse. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, right? Verse 20, guard the deposit. What's the deposit? What do you mean? The Holy Spirit, born again experience that's been planted in me. You, let me ask you a question. Because everybody seems to have this argument that somehow we're in control of, of our born again experiences, okay? Let's... let's God sows the seed, right? Let me ask you a question. You ever seen a, a field plant itself? A field does not plant itself. A cornfield does not plant itself. It doesn't happen, okay? It has to have somebody plant the seed, okay? I had a guy on Facebook the other day argue with me. Oh, I came to God on my own terms, in my own way. No, you didn't. Nobody ever does. Nobody comes to nobody wants to come to God by themselves, okay? Without God first opening your eyes and somebody coming and telling you something about God. If you didn't know anything about God, you wouldn't come running after God. If you didn't know about Christ, you wouldn't follow Christ. Period. In the story. Nobody would. It's a lie. Nobody comes to God on their own, on their own terms. This ain't Burger King. You don't get it your way. You come to Jesus his way. He said there's only one way. Soul, At, soul and the spirit are two separate things. Well, well, Without the spirit, your soul's still lost. Let's, come here. Look, look here. <laughs> Brian, Brian, don't get it Brian's way. Jesus said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Yeah. Brian knows how to work on computers. If Bryant said, oh, you just need to fix this part, but didn't give me instructions on how to do it, I wouldn't do it. I couldn't. We got this idea that I can do it all by myself. Oh, I've seen a computer. I've seen Bryant work on a computer. So I can do it. Doesn't work that way, does it? In the spirit. That's right. That's right. That's right. Thanks. Thanks for coming up here. Not my way. It's God's way. Amen. Now, when we hear that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, all we really think of is the way to heaven. Okay. Which is exactly what he meant. That's perfect context for that. But as a side note, Jesus is also the way that I ought to live my life. He gave me a good example to follow. You know, three and a half years of living righteously, holy before God, showing me Jesus Christ prayed, yet we got Christians today that think they don't have to pray. If you think the son of the living God, God in the flesh, had to have prayer and you don't need it, man, man, I don't know. 
whoever, whoever it is, just scoot away from them real quick because that lightning's coming, okay? I'm just playing, just playing. Let's finish this up. Let's finish this up, which he will display at the proper time. Who? He, she didn't know which way to go. Just jump up and run. No. <laughs> who alone has immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one can see nor has seen, to him be honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Sorry, that was me. Now, finally, he addresses the rich person in this, in this text. And he has some choice words here for the rich person. Notice how he talked about false teachers who teach that being rich is godly. It's not godly. Being rich and having money doesn't make you godly. Amen? Amen. So here he addresses those believers in the church of Ephesus who are uh, Christians and he's, they're rich. And he says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them. Now this word charge, it ain't like... I'm charging like a knight in battle, okay? It's a charge like I'm making a declaration. I'm, I, I'm, I'm laying an expectation on you. I'm putting a charge on you. Amen? I'm laying this to your case. I'm telling you this is what you should do, okay? He says, charge them not to be haughty or boastful, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Why? He said, why is he telling the rich people to do this? Because if all you want is to keep a hold of your money as a rich person, which most rich people do nowadays, if you didn't know that, they're the most frugal people you'll ever see in your life, and they don't want to spend a dime more than they have to on anything, okay? But they can't be haughty about their money. They can't be boastful about their money. And then it says that they need to be rich in good works, to be generous and to ready to share. Why? Because the reality is I can't take any of this with me, remember? Back in verse 3 through 10, he said, we come into this, we didn't bring anything into the world, and I can't take anything out of this world with me, so I might as well get rid of this money and help people with it while I got it, right? This is how I honor God. And he said, if you do that, you're going to store up treasure and have a firm foundation for the future. Amen? This marries exactly with Jesus' own words. He said, store not up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moss and rust can eat and corrupt, where thieves can break in and steal, but store for yourself what? Treasure in heaven, where moth and rust cannot eat and thieves cannot break in to steal. Why? Because Jesus is not getting you ready for this life. He's getting you ready for eternal life. Amen. He's getting you ready for the life to come. Amen? All of you need to realize that my life on earth is a rehearsal. For eternity. I'm either going to be in heaven or I'm going to be in hell. And my rehearsal is going to be where I end up. Are you living like, I'm going to say it, okay? Don't get upset. Are you living like hell? Don't be surprised. Okay? 
There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Amen? Yeah. Our life is either going to be lived for Satan, for this world, for the desires of this world, or it's going to be lived for God. In the book of John, he ends with this, and I'm going to end with this. In the book of John, he says, Beloved, don't love the world or the things of the world, because the things of the world are passing away, and the passions and the lusts of the world. We're not to love those things. Why? Because none of it has anything to do with being in Christ. He said, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What, do you realize that statement and the impact of that statement? Watch this. I'm going to show you something really, really profound, okay? Just hold on. Watch this. Now, it's dark, right? Light doesn't have any fellowship with darkness. When I turn the lights back on, there won't be a dark spot in the room. You understand this? What fellowship does light have with darkness? The truth is this, none. Because the minute that illumination happens, the minute that I'm born again and the light of Christ has been placed inside of me, darkness leaves. Jesus told a story, he said, if the light in your eye is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's not hard to see who is lit up for Christ and who isn't. Jesus said very simply, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. We make rocket science out of elementary things. It's really, really very simple. Jesus came to save sinners. And every one of us is a sinner. Go ahead and stand with me. We're going to close. I want you to understand one thing before we do close. That if you don't know Jesus and you've listened to this message and your heart is breaking and yearning to know Jesus Christ, you don't even have to pray a little prayer. You don't have to sing a little song. You don't have to come up here and cry at the altar. The reality is this. Jesus said, believe. Believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus came to save a sinner just like you. That Jesus came and died on the cross and paid for a sinner's sins just like your sins. And that if you understand this and believe that Jesus did that for you, that God raised him from the dead so that you could be justified before the Father, the truth is all you have to do is believe in your heart, Romans 10 and 9, and confess with your mouth Amen. the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. Amen? Amen. That's the gospel. 
Romans 10 and 9 is the gospel in a nutshell. Nobody earned it. Nobody deserves heaven. You can't look at your neighbor and say, man, they deserve it more than I do. No, they don't. Today could be the day where you get not what you deserve, but you get grace and receive mercy as you cry out to Christ. Believe the gospel and be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and praise you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for the gift of eternal life that is in Jesus Christ and him only. Lord, I pray that as those who have watched this message on Facebook or those that are in this room have heard this message today, God, that you would use it to minister to their hearts. Lord, I pray that they have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of God was saying. And I pray, God, that you would change their hearts, that you would draw them, call them, elect them, and move in their life, God, all of those whom you have called. I pray that everyone that receives this message, God, is receiving Christ and the, and, and the gift of eternal life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug before you leave.